If you've got your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And then put your finger in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Mark 16, verse 15, and Matthew 11, verse 28. The title of this morning's message uh, is Sanctuary Is... And uh, let's pray real quick before we begin. Father God, this morning as we enter a new year in 2016, God, the first sermon of this year, God, I pray, uh, Lord, that we just would be in line with you. God, I know uh, life's busy, life's chaotic, the world's crazy, but God, I believe you are calling us to greater things. God, I believe that the best days are yet ahead. God, I believe that you have a purpose and a plan for every person. Lord, that hears my voice right now. God, that you want to do something divinely powerful in their life. God, you want to expand their influence in ministry. God, you want to grow them in their gifts and their calling and their purpose. God, you want to see them change other people's lives, God, and you're going to equip them to do whatever you have called them to do because you are a God who always resources his redemptive mission. He, you always resource, God, your promised plan. And God, I pray that, uh, Lord, we know that revival is really about us. It's really about getting us back into the place that we are called to be humble heart, repentant hearts, Lord, hungry hearts for a move of God in our lives, in our families, in our towns, our regions, even our country, God. And let it begin inside us. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 Sanctuary is. Where are we going? And this... This morning, uh, if you're our guest, I'm really just setting a vision. I want us to set a vision as, as our local church that where are we going? Uh, this week, Beth and I will celebrate two years of being your pastors uh, at Sanctuary, and uh, we'll begin our third year with you. And I'm very, very excited, and I'm very, very glad that where God has called us to be. wouldn't want to be anywhere else than right here. And uh, where are we going as a local church? There's a little lie that says that uh, successful churches only grow uh, in metropolitan or suburbia, uh, suburban areas. And what could God possibly do in small-town USA? What could God possibly do here in central Louisiana? And when we look at Scripture, I want to encourage you this morning, even before we begin, that God is a God who called almost all of His Old Testament prophets out of small rural towns. Think about it. He is a God who leaves the 99 to go into the rural wilderness to find the one. He is a God who sent His Son to rural, conservative, little southern twang Galilee. In the middle of nowhere, a light shone in the darkness. And there He made His first disciples and He preached His first sermons. And God is a God today who says to His church, Go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Luke 14. What does God want to accomplish through our local church? And through every church, not just ours, but we're part of the whole. We are one member, one part of many parts. And what does God speaking today, what does He want to accomplish in every rural church, in every community, in every town? And would we believe it if God had great plans for this church and for this city and for the churches in this city? Would we believe it? Or we would just say, well, it's never been done before. What if, what if God wanted to do something that we have never, none of us, seen in our lifetime? 
What if he wanted to do great things, and would we care? Think about this, Mark sixteen fifteen. read with me. A new, a new American Standard. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany, some say follow, those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Let's sum that up. Basically, what God is saying is if you have faith and obey me to go where I've called you to go, you will be blessed and my power will confirm it in many ways. Those are not things that we want to list out to make sure we're checking off handling snakes or anything like that. He was just basically saying, I will take care of you. I will fulfill my part if you do your part. My power will come when you be obedient to preach the message. You just got to be obedient. It says these signs, these things will accompany. They'll follow when we go ahead ahead of that. And so uh, God's power shows up when we preach the good news. When we say to the poor in spirit and the broken, those held captive by sin, those that are blind to the truth, those who are oppressed by this world, that there is a good news of God's saving grace. And uh, God has a burden for the lost. Man, he's, He has a passion, a, a heartache for the lost. Uh, and He has empowered His church with every tool she needs uh, to win. Do you believe that? Somebody say amen. 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 God has a burden. One pastor wrote, he said, uh, I can't get over the idea of a church world wasting its time and energy on things other than the burden of Christ. The book of James tells us, and he continues, the book of James tells us to care for the widows and the orphans. The church should be standing for those who have no other person who can stand for them. Those people who have no voice in our society, no place at the table of power, The poor, the broken, the homeless, the socially or racially oppressed peoples. He continued, the church should have a burden to speak for those who can't speak for themselves, to feed those who can't feed themselves, to clothe those who can't clothe themselves. That pastor's name was Brother Eddie Thompson. Some people might say, man, there's not really that many people like that in our area. Over the, over the summer, I was privileged to read uh, Pastor Eddie's book, A Pastor's Heart. I wanted to get to know a man that I'm filling in after him and building upon what he built upon and to get to know his heart, a pastor's heart. And I was moved by that page because that is so very much the identity of this church and the reason I feel God has called me here was that we are to have a burden for those who God has a burden for. And I look at, I've uh, done some research this month and over the last few years, and the Pew Research Center says that if the current trends in America continue by 2050, our children will see Christianity, those who claim Christianity in America, shrink from 78% to 66 and that those in 2050 who claim to have no religion or are atheists will rise from 16% now to 25% of America will claim atheism or no religion in 2050. 
You know, in 60%, 66%, you say, wow, 66% seems high, but actually deeper studies show that true Christianity, true Christians, those that are devout, that are uh, laboring in prayer, tithing, those that are giving of their time behind the scenes to serve in their church, really is only 6 to 7% of Americans. In contrast to those who say 78%, I'm a Christian, it's really only 6 to 7% who are really invested in their local church. You know, in Louisiana, we're a little bit more religious than the rest of the country, and our numbers fare a little better, and stats still tell us there's a great disconnect in our, country, in our state. 84% of our neighbors and friends in Louisiana say they're Christian, but yet only 75% are certain there's a God. Well, there's a few we've lost already. 46% of them, it's only 46% of them that attend church weekly. And even more, 33% only attend once or twice a month or maybe a few times a year. And 22% of our neighbors never attend church. LaSalle Parish is no different. There are 20,000 people that live within 30-minute drive of this church. 20,000. 20,000 people live within 30 minutes of driving to this church. And if you use those statistics and you put it into our parish here, that means that in 30 minutes of our church, 20,000 people live. That means there are an estimated 4,400 people that will never enter the doors of a church that could drive to this church. 4,400 people. Your neighbors, your family, your friend, your coworkers, 4,400 of them, over 4,000 of our neighbors, of our community, never enter a church in a given year. That means also that 6,600 of them only go to church either a few times a year or maybe once a month. 6,600. 4,400 never enter. 6,600 only sometimes enter. That means that almost 11,000 of our friends, families, neighbors, coworkers, and strangers that we meet at Walmart, 11,000 of them that you and I encounter throughout the week will, are starving spiritually. And they may or may not enter heaven. And so don't tell me that the need in central Louisiana is not great. Half, almost half of our people are not certain they are going to go to heaven. They're hungry. There's something there that some of them may or may not attend. But yet there's a weakness that they say, oh yes, 84% of us are Christian, but yet only half of them may even make it. That's not counting all those who come to church on a regular basis and still aren't right. I look at these statistics and I say, God, do we have a burden for who you have a burden for? Do we see the need around us? And are we mobilized, energized, ready to act? Because what if this year was the year that Jesus comes back? 20,000 people around us, 11,000 of them are spiritually starving and don't even know it. They don't even know why. Their life is a mess and they have the problems they do and their marriages are falling apart. I've heard it said, and since my pastorate here, that you know, Gina can't handle churches over 200 people. I've heard it said that you know, we already have several large churches in our area. It's never been done before. We've never seen a church do anything like that. I've heard it said that it'll never happen. And I've heard it said that everyone goes to church. Well, we just proved that wrong. We need a move of God like we've never had before like we never have had before. I believe that people are willing to drive 30 minutes for a life-changing experience with God. I believe it. 
Thousands flocked to Galilee, walking a hundred miles on foot when Jesus showed up. We can't drive 30 minutes. I believe people will drive. They, the average uh, stat tells us that in LaSalle Parish, people on average drive 35 minutes to work a day. I believe they'll drive 30 minutes to a church where God shows up and lives are being changed, where chains are broken off, where the, the Holy Spirit is just tangible there. Don't you believe that? And so what is going on here? That means that we as a community, we in this church, have the means and the power to influence people from Gina to Midway to Trout to Tullus to Allah to Pollock and to Jonesville, even Harrisonburg, that God could call in the masses. And by saying that we should stay at a church of 150, 200 some people, is to say to God, God, we only want to reach 1% of those you've called us to. If we were to grow and, and remain as a church of 100, 150, 200 people, we would be saying to God, God, we are only passionate about 1% of our community. I'm passionate for a little more than 1%. Come on. 11,000 people. It's almost to say that we know at least, and I'm not putting a number on people's eternity, but the stats would tell us that 6,000 people in LaSalle Parish would go to hell tomorrow if Jesus came back today. At least the minimum amount is 6,000 people who don't have a secure relationship with Jesus Christ. Their eternity is up in the air. 6,000. And we only want to reach 1%. Come on, church. 6,000 people. Can we believe God for more than that? Can we believe God for complete and total victory? By saying that we only want to reach 1% of the people, we're just conceding that 6,000, that 11,000 people to hell and giving up on them. But I believe God would call us to reach more for complete victory in our area. I believe, uh, what, can we believe God to reach 500 of our families and friends? Could we believe even more? Could we believe more? Uh, say, God, we want to reach 5% of our community. That's 500 people. I mean, sorry, that's 1,000 people. God, we want to reach 5% of our community. God, give us 1,000 people. What about 10%? 10%. God, we want to reach 2,000 people. How big is too big? 11,000 people. 6,000 people. God, Lord, we want a move of God, and we believe for more than we've ever seen before. God, we believe that God is the God of the impossible, that when, God showed, when Jesus showed up in Galilee, that thousands flocked. Even that one sermon, we remember, with the feeding of the five loaves and the fishes, thousands. It's possible, church. Come on now, let's believe God that He did it once and He can do it again. We, we, with these little mindsets that we say, well, this is just church. We're just going to another service. We're just going to another event. It's just another day, another Sunday, another lunch, Sunday, another Sunday night, and Monday's on its way. But I believe, God, that Jesus Christ is coming back soon, and today is the day that we need to be the most mobilized, most spirit-filled, most uh, uh, witnessed church in the history of the world. More than even the book of Acts, the church of today should be on fire for Jesus Christ. Because this is the end. Mark 9.22, and a deaf and mute boy's father asked Jesus, if you can do anything, Lord, heal him. If you can. And what did Jesus say? He says, all things are possible to him who believes. And what did the guy say? He said, Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief. 
man, maybe that's what we should be praying. All things are possible to him who believes. God, help us to be a people. We've got some unique challenges ahead of us. We've got a, a big mission. There's a big harvest waiting to be taken. And we have a big God who in Jeremiah 32, verse 27 says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Is there anything too hard for me? And church, we are called to victory. Do we believe a God for the impossible? And do we believe in the Holy Spirit's power? And do we believe in the power of the gospel message to break off chains, to change lives for eternity? That that's the power of salvation. And do we have a God-sized vision? God-sized vision. You're never going to get somewhere you're not trying to go. Where are we going? Over the last couple of years, our leadership team has worked with me. We meet every month to develop God, where are you taking us in and to train ourselves and better ourselves for you, our church family. And our vision is simply, a vision is a foresight. It's where you're going, where you're headed. And what, look, what do you see ahead? It's a picture. And it's a dream on the inside of us. And it's got to be a God-sized dream. It's got to be like Abraham was told to go. And maybe he didn't understand exactly where he was going, but God said, I'm going to do something through you. I'm going to make you the father of many nations, so Go. And so he just knew enough to go that direction and to, to kind of know what God was doing, but you don't have it all figured out, right? And a vision is kind of like that. It's where we're going as a church and what we believe as a leadership team God has li- uh, laid ahead of us. And our vision is simply this, and it's a statement on our, our programs, our website, our bulletins, and it says that we are called to be a Holy Spirit hospital for the broken and poor in spirit. And, and that, that, I know that by I mean, I know that by I feel it. I felt it before I even came here. I felt it when I read Eddie's book. I felt it through our leadership team, through, through even uh, every worship service we have. God, you're calling us to be a Holy Spirit hospital for the broken and for the poor in spirit. And, and look with me in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus comes into this rural Galilee and he comes to a place and his audience, his most successful, most fruitful church is birthed out of people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. They're, they're poor. They're the demonized. They're the sick. They're the outcast, the disenfranchised of, of society. They're the, the racially, ethnically stereotyped, those that nobody wants. And I believe that that is who God has called this church to in this community. I believe we are to be known as the church that goes for the, the people that nobody else wants. That's our identity. We've got to be a people that, that sees revival, not birth through the, the, the religious elite or the community leader. And then, I'm great. Come on, bring them all. But I believe God is going to move when we begin to have a heart for those that nobody else has a heart for. I'm talking for the poor and the out and the depressed and the lonely and the outcast and the stinky and the smelly and, and those that we may not think look as good as other people. God has called us to have a heart like he has a heart. And that is when Jesus was most successful. Most successful. I see God calling us to have EMTs, trained members in our church who help us bring in the spiritually sick, like on an ambulance, spiritual ambulance, if you will. I believe God is calling our church to have an emergency room for new believers uh, to meet them at whatever need. 
I believe God is calling us to have admissions, uh, a team of people that will help sort out every individual into the place that God would have them to go, that right place of care, that we'd follow up with every guest and, and see them and meet them on an individual, personal level. I believe God would call us to have spiritual nurses, people on our leadership team who are, are ready and trained to disciple every individual through our small groups and our weekly Bible studies. I believe God would have us to have uh, intensive care units, surgical units that would help with those special needs that need counseling, perhaps uh, through drug, through recovery, through uh, divorce, through abuse, through uh, special deeper needs that need some intensity uh, to them. I foresee and and we foresee as a, a leadership team that Sanctuary should be a church that experiences the tangible presence and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, not only in our corporate setting, but in every small group from our kids to our youth and to every corner that we have reached, that the Holy Spirit must have free reign. That when we could be in a small group Bible study, the Holy Spirit can just speak out of one member who would just be let it. It doesn't have to be in in an organized meeting. That we could be in the parking lot and we would have words for one another. That, that we could be talking to one another at Walmart and, and the Holy Spirit would just move. That we would just let loose of this mindset that God has to move in an organized service, but that God would just move in every, or every level of our church. We believe that we should be a church that would have benevolence programs, which we've already started. This year alone we've given over, uh, a number escapes me, nine to $11,000 to Local people, and are not even a part of our, some of them are a part of our church, but local people who needed rent, utility assistance, financial assistance. I believe we need to be a church that fills in the gaps of social services in our community. You know, 14% of our community uh, is under the level of poverty. 14% of our community. We foresee Sanctuary being a church that works with at risk kids. Maybe it's an after school program that we'll get involved with, and we already have dreams about and already kind of figured that out a little bit. Uh, that creatively blesses single moms. Those are things that are in the work. You know, 10% of our community are single moms. 10%. That's over 1,500 people. Single moms. We could have a ministry to 1,000 single moms. Think about it. There's, there's no lack of need. There's, there are thousands of needs and thousands of people who have them. We foresee Sanctuary being a church that has interracial membership. 12% of our community is black, and so should our church. We need a dynamic outreach to youth. It has, we need one of the most fun and most spiritual kids' ministries in the region. I believe God had called us to have that. We've already begun to implement that. We've got a great kids' program. And we want to be known as a community center to our town, to reflect our city and our region, and to be a church that helps unite all the other local churches. God has called us in our unique position to be an interdenominational church. I believe that is positioned for a reason, to help be a center for other churches to work together. And I believe God would position us in that way. So how do we get there? That's our vision. That's my heart. That's why God has called me here. And that's where we're going. And how do we get there as a church? And what is your role? And what has God called you to? And, and what do you feel? And what, what position do you have in that if vision is where we're going, mission is how we get there. And uh, mission is the mode of transportation, if you will, the vehicle that God would put us in to put us down that dirt country road. And what does it take to accomplish this God-sized vision to win the lost in our community? And our mission statement is simply this, that we must be a people who walk with God's Spirit to complete His redemptive mission in grace love, and truth. 
And I'm going to explain that because, number one, that means we've got to be a spirit-led church, that we walk with God's spirit. Number two, it means that we've got to have a God-sized vision that says, God, we don't just want 1% or 2% or 3%. God, we want to be a church that helps complete reaching everyone. We, we're shooting for the stars, God. God, we're not just settling for a little bit. God, we want to help you complete. Because the Bible says that when the gospel is preached to the end of the world, then he'll come, right? And we want to be a church that's saying, God, we want to be a part of that last day's harvest, God, that reaches every person in our community, those you've called us to with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we're going to do it in these three values, grace, love, and truth, which is the heartbeat of our church. And grace means, church, that we have got to be a people who are not only accepting but are seeking every person, that we seek and that we accept all those who come in our doors, that we are an open-door church, and that we, we don't favor one person above another. We, there's no cliques, there's no divisions, there's no, there's no uh, this level versus that level, that we are just full of grace, and we will forgive you time and time again. I don't care if you've had one strike, two strike, or 14,000 strikes. You're welcome to come to sanctuary, amen? I don't care what you look like, what you smell like, we are a church of grace, and grace seeks and accepts people. And it means that we've got to be a church of love, the second value. Love means that we need to be a people who are willing not only to speak verbally Jesus Christ's love, but to demonstrate it. You can't just say you love somebody. You've got to show it. And love, I've repeatedly said, love is that demonstration to sacrifice for the benefit of somebody else. That we need to show we love this community by speaking it, but also doing something about it and sacrificing of our time, our talent, our treasure for the people around us. And finally, truth means that we're not ashamed to speak boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter how it's not PR, no matter what people say, that this is the gospel and it is the power for salvation. And nothing can ever change that. And that's our core truth. But it also means truth means that I've got to be a person, and you and I have got to be a people that speaks the truth to one another across the aisles. We can't go out there and speak the truth of Jesus Christ and not come back in here and speak the truth to one another. That if you offend me, I must tell you. And if I offend you, you must tell me. And we must be willing to reconcile and not speak ill of one another. That we've got to be a people who are of truth, right? Come on. There's a lot of churches with two faces. This is not one of them. Take your masks off. We're all messed up, right? Amen. Come on. Truth. And there are seven things we must do. I believe in this mission, our tomorrow. So we have our vision, our mission, and our tomorrow. Seven things I believe God has called this church to do in 2016. Are you ready? Write these down for me. Seven things I believe we must do. That This is your part. The leadership has come. Our vision, our mission, here's yours. Seven things we must do to accomplish what God has called this church to do. And, you know... If we don't do it, as under my pastor, I'm going to be bold. God will take me out of the picture, send somebody else, and give you guys another chance. Hopefully, don't make that happen. I want to stay, okay? Right? I'll be here as long as God. I'm not going anywhere. No plans. Beth and I are here for, until God would call us home. And I hope, or hope that's for a good long haul, that God would just begin to grow this, this church. And seven things we must do. Number one is believe. We must believe God that what He says will come to pass. Thousands flocked to 12 men and Jesus. Why? Because there was an authoritative teaching of God's Word, and there was a demonstration of the Spirit's power. 
That's our core. Believe. A God-sized vision. Church, if we have a vision just to reach a couple hundred people, that's something we can do on our own. I can get some gold DVDs. I can preach what all the other pastors are preaching in the book series that's going around. We can gather enough fun potluck events. We can get a couple hundred people in here. We don't need God to do that. Come on. We can put the new Sunday school curriculum in that the headquarters is putting out. We can do this. We can get a new logo, media. We can get a couple hundred people to eat together once a week. I am believing God for something that we cannot do without Him. And our vision is not big enough if we can do it on our own. It's got to be so big that only God can accomplish it. And that's where we're going. God's size vision. We've got to believe God that we can have regional influence and affect the culture of our community. I'll give you some examples. There's a small town in Virginia. I only had 2,500 people. That church grew from 200, or sorry, from 21 people to 400 people in just a few years. Another small town in Georgia, only 8,000 people in the city, grew from 35 to 500. There's one in Alabama that grew from 50 to 300. Another in a rural town just not too far from here in southwestern Arkansas had less than 100 people in this town. Even a Southern Baptist church. They believed God, and today they have grown from 50 people to 2,000 people in a town of 100 because they believed God for greater things. Not only are they running 2,000 people right now, they have 1,500 people in satellite campuses around them and across the globe. Come on. It's possible here. It's got to be, right? If God can do it somewhere else, He can do it here. And I have to, we have to believe God for a God-sized vision. Number one. Number two, we've got to kill our fleshly desires. Kill the flesh. Crucify the flesh. Galatians 5.24. We must crucify the flesh with its passions and desires, leaving that worldly life behind, forsaking all to follow Jesus. That means giving Christ true lordship, true ownership of my life. That I am in this for Him and I'm in this to win it. When we look at that verse we read at the very beginning, Matthew eleven thirty, because he says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know what that means? It means that he says, Hey, you're you're out there on your own with your own yoke, leading your own life, and you're heavy laden. You're you're burdened down by your own authority. Your own authority of your own life has led you to a life of heavy weight of sin and consequences. But if you would trade your own yoke For my yoke of authority, my reins, like you see on a horse, right? My yoke, that bit in your mouth, if you would trade your authority for my authority, you'll find out my yoke is easier and my burden is lighter. And you know what that burden is? A burden for the lost. It's better to be under Christ's authority than my own authority. It's better to have Christ's burden for the lost than the burden of the sin and the consequences of my own plans, my own purpose, my own agenda. And so I give up. Heath Harris doesn't get to decide where he lives. Heath Harris doesn't get to decide what his finances do. Heath Harris doesn't get to decide what he should say or not say, think or not think, do or not do. It's all Jesus. God, where do you want me to go today? God, what do you want me to say today? God, what do you want me to do today? God, what should I do with this money? God, what should I do with that and this and that? And it's saying, and this phrase has been used repeatedly in this illustration, and it holds true. Is Jesus your mascot or your monarch? Anybody heard this before? Is Jesus your mascot or your monarch, your king? One of those we show up to on the weekend, and it's the game. 
And we're all sitting in the bleachers, and we got our Jesus t-shirts on, and we're like, go Jesus, go Jesus, go. And he's running, he's there, and he motivates us, and he excites us, and he binds us together. And we're all got that spiritual energy, and we got that excitement, and whoo, boy, man, that was a good service. And then we go home, and we forget about it, and that energy dissipates and goes away until the next game. That's one version of your Jesus. The next one is your monarch. That is one who says, God, I live to serve you. God, you rule my life with authority, and I am highly blessed and highly favored. And I, God, you're leading me ahead in victory. God, you're destroying things before me. God, you're putting me in a place where I'm fruitful, productive, and I give up everything. And my whole life is just to seek to please you. Because when you're under the monarch, you, you live in constant awareness that I live to serve somebody else, my king. Jesus is king. And he's not our mascot. He's our monarch. And it comes to that place, kill our fleshly desires. God, I want to live to serve you, live to please you, because that's when I'm truly blessed. That's when I'm highly favored. Number three, we had to pray in the Spirit. Studies show that one-third of those in America who say they have attended church have never felt God's tangible presence in a worship service. A third. Think of this. Across our nation, a third of the people that are going to different churches come out of those churches and say, I don't know if God was there or not. We've got to be a people who are spiritual, who are spirit-focused. And when we come together to pray in the Spirit means to, we think in Romans 8, 26, to pray with groanings of the Holy Spirit, and He's searching the will of God. It means to pray according to the will of God, in line with God's Spirit, to be a people who are laboring, working in prayer, people who, who feel the tangible presence of God when we pray and when we seek Him who are devoted to prayer, who pray with an urgency because God's soon returning, who labor in prayer for God's glory to come down, for His church to grow, and for the power of the Holy Spirit to confirm the Word we're preaching. Because we have to be a people that understands it's not by might nor by power, but by God's Spirit that we will have victory. It's not going to be because Pastor Heath implements some cool program or some new small group idea or some agenda or because we have an awesome website, which we do. It's not because of any of that. It's because God's Spirit has got to be central to our church. We believe in the Holy Spirit and the gifts to be in operation in this church. Number four, we have to gain His heart. From, the cruci- from our crucifixion to our passion for prayer, it should birth in us a greater love for His church, for God, and for His lost. To the poor, the broken, the outcast, that love's got to grow within us. And do we have a burden for our neighbors? Pastor Eddie Thompson wrote this. He said, To succeed in the kingdom of God, to truly succeed, is to accomplish many things others deem undesirable. This reaching the lost thing can get your hands dirty. Sometimes there's criticism when people who are different enter our open doors. A church that reaches the outcasts of this society, there's going to be no sounding of trumpets, no parades, no accolades. And I love this, he said, I must push those I lead to care only for the victory. I wonder if we'll ever learn to see ourselves in the brokenness of others. 
we're still pushing for the victory, church. Are we broken for the lost? Fifth is to be strategic. It means prayerfully implementing things that will allow us to have the structure to grow. When we catch a lot of fish in the Gospels, you see their nets begin to break. We have to be a church that is ready to catch the harvest that God would bring us. Like tomorrow, if God brought us a thousand people, what would we do with them? Are we ready to disciple them? Do we have the plans, programs in place that help uh, funnel them through and grow in discipleship? Are there enough volunteers in our church that would help us minister to the lost and broken? How will we handle those that come to us and say, my dad abused me, that my mom, my mom uh, uh, ran out on me, that, you know, that I don't have an identity, that I did drugs and alcohol, that I was sexually abused as a child? Do we have people in place who say, yes, God has brought me through that I'm here to help you? Because see, First Peter tells us in chapter 2, verse 5, says, you are living stones built up as a spiritual house. The most strategic thing we can do as a church is that we say, God, I am one brick in this church. God, I am a part. I am involved. I am invested. God, I have a a purpose and a position because we need you. Our strategy takes every single person being mobilized into action. It means that everyone is called to use their unique gifts and talents for God's glory. You're going to use that, our, our Connect course, our leadership team. Get involved. Find that place, because I'm going to tell you, when you have that dead limb and your arm goes numb when you wake up in the night, right, or in the morning, you can't use it, right? You can't make your hair look all pretty and spiky like mine, right? You know? What happens? That dead limb is useless. And a person who is not using their purpose in the body of Christ is just as a dead limb, the Bible would tell us. That we're not fulfilling the purpose of God in our lives. And literally, you make the whole body sick, Right? We can't work together because we're trying to comb our hair with this side and you're having to go like this. Get up. Come on, everybody. Raise your hands in church. Right? And you're going to find out that if you're not involved over the next year or two and you, you disconnect, you'll feel like you've been cut off. But that's not the case. We think you belong here. You have a purpose. But you've got to be using what God has called you to use. Six is do something. We'll all answer for that obedience to the Great Commission. My job as pastor, some people's jobs as leader, deacon, elder, evangelist, whatever, they will answer for their own obedience to the Great Commission. Everyone in here will answer to God for how well done, good and faithful servant we've been. And your sanctuary's ability to reach the lost, that... That really doesn't get to heaven. It's what we do individually and in saying, God, I'm doing what you've called me to do. And I'm being faithful. And I look at Hebrews 12.1, and I'm wrapping up. The author tells us, Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin easily that entangles us and run with endurance the race set before us. I look at this and I say, Jesus, you ran. The apostles ran. Generations before us have run, and today is our lap. It's a relay race. The baton has been passed, and we've got our lap to run. And there's nobody on the sidelines. There's no junior varsity, no second string. The only people sitting in the bleachers in this heavenly race are those who've already made it up to heaven. They got their crown of life, and they're looking down to you and I, and the thing that they're saying is saying, run, run, run. 
because their winning depends on our lap. Do you understand, church, this morning, that it doesn't end because Paul did his part and Peter did his part and James did his part. We are the final lap and we must win. We must win. And there's no one in the church today that gets to sit back and say, run church, run, go pastor, go, go leadership team, go. Only heaven is in the bleachers and they're watching all of us run. And how well are we running when there are 11,000 people 30 minutes from this church who may or may not make it to heaven? God has given us every tool in our arsenal, everything we need. He says that the, the power of the gospel is for the destruction of heavenly forces and the tearing down of high places. That He has given us the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be in operation. That we have the boldness that we need. If you lack wisdom, ask for it. You'll get it. I mean, He's just throwing it out there that He has given grace and favor. I look at this and I say, God, we've got to be a people who do something. And number seven, finally, give God the glory. God will not do anything among us if He thinks it'll be about Sanctuary Family Worship Center or Pastor Heath Harris. I don't need my face on a billboard. Let me tell you right now. It's not that pretty, right? I don't need HeathHarrisMinistries.com to be successful. It is all about giving God the glory. And if He knows that He will get the glory at Sanctuary Family Worship Center... He will move. I'm going to close you with one more quote from Brother Eddie. And I'm going to ask our, leader, our guys upstairs to play a CD as soon as I get done reading this. And let this be kind of a going out statement for us this morning. He said, The poor, the broken the lost, the lonely, and the hurting people of this world desperately need hope. And this kingdom is a place where everyone is welcomed. There are those out there who so desperately need Him, who need a sanctuary from the storms of life. They need a sanctuary. Jesus said, Is anyone thirsty? Let him come. Do we desire to lead this people to a sanctuary? Are we telling them, come on, the water's good? I want you to listen to this song as a response to prayer. If we had a heart, I hope it would be the words of this song. And our guys are going to show you the words. This would be a response time for us. God, do I have your burden for the lost? for my 11,000 friends, families, and neighbors around us? And am I going to be invested in this mission, this God-sized vision in this church this year?